Well, as we continue in the series, Do Good, this morning, I'd like to tell you a little story. I'd like to tell you a story about a man named Octavian. Isn't that a cool name, Octavian? It's just a very cool, strong name. Octavian was a talented, he was a brilliant leader. He's a young man that became a brilliant leader. As a matter of fact, he was so brilliant that someone else by the name of Cicero, that I know you've heard of him, Cicero said, Octavian is a talented young man who should be praised, honored, and eliminated. In other words, there were many people that saw Octavian as being a threat. Octavian did rise to power, and one of the first things he did when he rose to power was to eliminate Cicero. But what you may not know about Octavian is he expanded his empire as far north as Scotland. He expanded his empire as far south as the lower regions of Egypt down to Ethiopia. He expanded his empire as far west as Spain and then all the way to what we know as Iran or Persia today. He ruled a huge empire. But because he ruled such a huge empire, it took a huge tax base to take care of the needs of his nation. And so he had a half a million strong standing army. That meant soldiers that were currently serving. He also had millions and millions of people that depended upon the government because one of the things that made him such a popular ruler was that the government was constantly giving to people things, whether it was food or entertainment. And so he needed to increase the tax basis. And so this might be familiar with you because he took on a new name. He called himself Caesar Augustus. And he sent out a message to the whole world, that his known world at that time, that the whole world should be taxed. And that's how the story of Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem, God used that to bring that about because there a baby would be born that all of us know. And 2,000 years later, Octavian conquered an empire, but Jesus Christ has conquered the hearts and the lives of men and women everywhere and Caesar's empire long ago crumbled. I tell you that story because so many of us, we want power, we want wealth. And when I perused this week again some of the best sellers, it was amazing to me how much of it centers around influence and wealth and power and things of that nature. And so Jesus is telling a story that I want to take you to in the Bible, but let me give you the context of the story. There's a young man in the crowd that after Jesus has started his ministry, and he's doing what I've seen a lot of people do when they've gone to hear a celebrity talk or where they've gone to hear a politician talk. They keep just trying to jostle their way through the crowds. Think about watching a reporter when they're trying to get closer to the celebrity or the politician they want to interview. They keep jostling with one another to get a position. But this young man got right next to God, Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He got right next to the Lord, and his mind and his thought wasn't upon who he was with. His mind and his thought was upon what he could get. And so he had this ongoing dispute with his brother, and there he is in the presence of God, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, tell my brother he needs to divide up the estate of my father. He needs to give me my stuff. I want my stuff, Jesus. And if you read the story in the Bible, Jesus is angry at him. I mean, just think about it this morning. I hope you came into the presence of the Lord. And as we sang those beautiful songs, your heart and your mind was lifted to heaven and you worshiped the Lord. You just didn't sing lyrics, but you sang unto the Lord and you worshiped him. 
because you're in the presence of God. Sin was crippling this man morally and spiritually, and it blinded him so that he couldn't see where he was at. Sometimes when I talk to people who talk to me about some of the struggles going on in their life, I'll take them back to a song we sang in church, or I'll take them back to a message, and they'll say to me, Pastor, I don't remember that song, or I don't remember that message, and I'll ask them to go back, because what I find out is that sin can blind you, worry can blind you, greed can blind you, fear can blind you, and keep you from recognizing the greatness of the Spirit-breathing holy fire within you. It can keep you from seeing that God is for you, not against you, that God is with us. We can become like Caesar Augustus. We can become like young Octavian. We're seeking power and wealth and influence. So if you would, stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord. And let's go to Luke chapter 12, verse 16, where Jesus picks up after what I've just shared with you, and he tells this story for the benefit not only of the young man, but for you and me. Jesus told them the story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. And he's talked to himself, and he says, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods, and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You ever patted yourself on the shoulder before? Patted yourself on the back? I have. Self, you've done well. You've got it made and can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. And just then God showed up and said, fool, tonight you die. And your barn full of goods, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. Richard Baxter, the Puritan pastor, said, man always knows his life will shortly cease, yet madly lives as if he knew it not. I want you to join me in prayer again. Lord, here we are in your presence. Most of us in this room have lifted up holy hands to you to worship and to adore you. All of us in this room, Lord, I'm sure have lifted our hearts up in song to you, and we have been in your presence. We've held those sacred emblems in our hand that remind us of your broken body and your shed blood for us. And now we sit in the presence of the preaching of your word, believing that something supernatural happens, that, Father, this is not a talk, this is not a lecture, but this is the preaching of the word of the Lord. And we pray, God, that you will manifest yourself through it and in it and make it a living word in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. When I read the story of this man, I've often told other people, I don't find a lot to criticize about the man. I mean, let's just stop and think about it. There's a lot that I admire about this man. His crops had been successful. It's what I pray for you, that your careers and your businesses will be successful. He had to build bigger barns, better barns. It's what I pray for you, that some of you are small business people, some of you lead a division. I pray for you that your careers and your vocations will be expanding and growing. 
Not only that, this man had a, evidently a good business mind, and so he had a master plan, and he had a business plan, and long-term, long-range planning, so that he was able to buy more fields, plant more fields, build bigger barns, expand his business, perhaps even beyond his hometown to other places. This was a man that probably had achieved so much financial success, we might would have called him a multimillionaire, maybe even a billionaire in our society today. He might have been a Bill Gates or an Elon Musk. He might have been a Steve Jobs. We don't know, but we do know that in that time and that day, he would have been considered uber rich and successful. He had achieved financial security. He had achieved financial stability in his life. He'd come to a place in his life where he decided, you know what? I could if I wanted to. I could stop. I could quit. And he says to himself, I think that's what I'll do. I can satisfy my every appetite. I can eat. I can drink. I can be merry. I can do what I want. It's called the good life, the dolce vita that so many people talk about. Oh, I can't wait till I retire. Then I'm going to enjoy the good life. There's nothing wrong with any of these things I've just told you. It's just we have to look at the totality, but comparing the young man in the presence of God, who all he could think about was his stuff, and the rich man who died. In my mind, this is how I see it happening. He goes upstairs after he kisses his wife goodnight, and he says, you know, I've got something on my mind. And he loves his wife. He loves his children. I preached a lot of funerals like that. Goes upstairs and he begins to work on his business plan or his retirement plan. And while he's sitting there with this idea that is brimming in his mind, suddenly he feels a thump in his chest. He feels a shudder. Then his heart skips another beat and all of the good eating and all the good drinking that he's done and the hardening of the arteries that's taken place. Suddenly his heart stops and he's in the presence of God. And he hears these words, fool. He was foolish, not because he had been successful. He was foolish because his life was all about his stuff and not about God. His life was all about his success, his wealth, his power, and his influence. It was not about God. And the Bible says that the man or woman that takes no thought of God is a fool. The Bible says that the person who lives her life, maybe naming the name of God, but lives her life as though there is no God, that person is a fool. And the book of Proverbs is filled with stories and examples of those that are wise and those that are foolish. You see, Jesus is not against stuff. Jesus is not against influence. Jesus is not against wealth. Or Jesus is not against power. That spirit-breathing holy fire within us that we sang about this morning, God said he would bring power into our lives. It's not that Jesus is against any of that. It's Jesus is against that when that is the center of our lives. We sing a song sometimes here at Woodland called Jesus at the Center of It All. Think of a wheel. It's the, as you bring your financial life, your spiritual life, your marital life, your, your parental, grandparent life, as you bring your health, as you bring it all together, the closer it gets to the hub, if you let the hub represent the, the core of your life, your relationship with Christ, then all of that begins to be strengthened so that you can go forward in life. But if Jesus is not at the center, eventually there will come a time of total collapse. 
In a devotional I read years ago, A Voice in the Wilderness, these words were written, Money will buy a bed, but not sleep. Books, but not brains. Food, but not appetite. Finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Luxuries, but not culture. Amusement, but not happiness. Religion, but not salvation. And a passport to everywhere, but to heaven. It's not that Jesus is against any of those things. Years and years ago, we were living on Pine Ridge Drive in Macon, Georgia. Not long before we moved up here, where we were living. And, and I remember one night, we had just finished with reviewing our financial plan, and we decided it was time maybe to bring the boys in. And so we brought them into our dining room. And I can see it now just like I can see you, burgundy walls and the china cabinet and the table. We're all sitting around the table. We're explaining things to the boys and, and to Amy, and their eyes got big. And suddenly, one of them says, we get all of that when you die? And I go, yeah, you get all of that when, you, when I die. And the oldest one, Andrew goes, but as an eldest firstborn son, I should get double. I mean, he was focused on the stuff. And I reminded him, we're not planning on dying anytime soon. And that went out with the, the Old Testament now, and that uh, everybody gets an equal share. And you could see him already calculating how long was I going to live. You know, sometimes we get more focused on the stuff than the relationship. It's why Paul wrote to young Pastor Timothy these words that are left for us is the inspired, authoritative, infallible Word of God. Pastor Timothy, tell the congregation this. Tell them, use their money to do good. Look at your neighbor and say, use your money to do good. Just look at them right now and say, use your money to do good. Tell them to use their money to do good. Tell them to be rich in good works and generous to those in need and always being ready to share with others. Now, this message is not about financial management. There are people in our church that can really talk to you really well about financial management. There are people that have been willing to help you learn. I'm not talking to you about financial management. I got to spend a weekend at his invitation in his home with someone that I admired very much, Larry Burkett. And I remember Larry, as we talked and we ate together that weekend, Larry saying to me, People who observe God's principles of finance, and even when there has been tumultuous times, even when there's been turbulent times, when the bottom has fallen out, those people have always survived. Many of them have thrived because they observed God's financial plans. And we looked at charts and diagrams, and it was a weekend that I will always remember, a defining moment in my life. So I'd like to share with you some things that Larry taught me from the Word of the Lord, and I just like to leave them with you as some things that I hope that will help you bring stability not only to yourself and your family, but stability to your children and your grandchildren, but most of all will keep you in mind of who we're in the presence of this morning. So number one, remember everything belongs to God. That's where we start. Everything belongs to the Lord. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Until you fully recognize that all that you have belongs to God, you will never really be happy. You belong to God. I know we call it our house. I know we call it our car, but it all belongs to the Lord. But I think sometimes we forget because we think, I've achieved my financial success. I've built my home. I've been able to do this because I'm smart. 
or maybe perhaps you've been able to, 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 to trade on your strength. Maybe you've been able to trade on your skills or your assets. Maybe like some young people that we were youth pastors to that went on to become professional models and live for Christ, but they, they, they made choices that limited their career because they wanted to honor the Lord. You've traded on your beauty or your good looks, but it was God who gave you those looks. It was God who gave you the power. It was God who gave you the brains, the strength, the talents, and it all belongs to him. God doesn't want to steal from you. When God says it all belongs to me, it's not that God is wanting to be greedy with you. God is extravagant to you and I. I love this quote from a book that I'm reading, The Wisdom Pyramid by Brett McCracken. Beauty and Sabbath go hand in hand. Both are extravagant, unproductive, unnecessary. Both are reflections of God's abundance and reminders that the world is chiefly a gift to receive. Notice that. The world is chiefly a gift to receive, not a prize to be earned. Beauty doesn't have to exist. Isn't that a beautiful quote? God is extravagant with us. Just recently, Becky and I watched a documentary from the Wall Street Journal on Chick-fil-A and how that basically they own the lunch business and how basically they are more prosperous per restaurant than any other restaurant in business, more prosperous than McDonald's, more prosperous than Burger King. And yet if you walk into their corporate headquarters, there is scripture, there is the founder's motto, and they close every single Sunday because they choose to receive from God the gift that the Sabbath is and let their employees rest and they rest and they still just rock it in financial prosperity. God doesn't want to take to you, but God reminds us everything belongs to him. Number two, remember to do your best work. Remember whether you're retired or whether you're gainfully employed. Retirement doesn't mean you just go to Florida and shrivel up and look like a prune and play shuffleboard. I would rather die and go on to heaven than do that. Retirement means finding that second calling, that third calling, that next vocation in life that you can serve him with. One of the men from our church, I remember when he retired, all he wanted to do was sit on the sofa and watch movies, and he died not long after that. If you're a young person working at Chick-fil-A or whatever job you're working at, do your best. Be the best that there is. People call me from our community. They call me at this church, and they say, Pastor, those folks from Woodland that you've recommended, we've given jobs to, they work so well. Do you have somebody else to recommend? And I always remind them that the reason that you work good and you work well is not because you go to Woodland, but because you want to honor Jesus Christ. I recently had someone call from another religion and said, can you recommend somebody from your church? Because I've met the people from your church and how they work is admirable. It's what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22. Don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. And then look at Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see any truly competent workers? They will serve kings rather than working for ordinary people. You see, competent people, people who work as unto the Lord, God always raises them up. Never forget the principle, humble yourself in the sight of God, and he will lift you up in due time. 
The third thing I would say to you in light of who we serve is remember to think and pray before you borrow. Remember to think and pray before you borrow. Larry Burkett helped me with on this because sometimes there are appropriate times to borrow, to buy a house, especially if the housing market is going up. But then you've got to be wise because there are times like right now when it's not the wisest time to buy a house. So you need to think and to pray. It's a good time to sell a house, but not the wisest time to sell a house. In some places in our country, it makes more sense to rent than it does to own because of the taxes and the insurance and the maintenance and the upkeep. And so you, you rent rather than own. But you don't just consume everything else. You think and you pray before you borrow. You see, debt will squeeze the freedom. Debt will squeeze the peace out of people like nothing else will do. And here's what I've learned as a pastor for almost 50 years. Hear me on this, especially those of you maybe listening at home this morning. Hear me carefully. Debt doesn't happen to dumb people. Debt happens to all people. Debt has happened to the brightest people that I know. Really bright people. So I would say outside of whatever mortgage is prudent for your life, that word prudent being in your self-interest, that the Bible counsels us to stay out of debt, to avoid debt, to owe no man nothing but love. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 7, the poor are always ruled over by the rich. So don't borrow and put yourself under their power. It's so wrong to take a set of millstones or even just the upper millstone as security for a loan for the owner uses it to make a living. In other words, what's he saying? Don't build a society that causes people to have to mortgage their way. They earn their living to be able to, in such a way that we keep them from making a living. I think it's a commentary on our society that we want to support gambling off, excuse me, support education off of gambling. I stood in line the other night watching someone that I knew was poor, that I knew didn't have very much. And between the one gallon of milk they bought, the pint of liquor they bought, and then all of the tickets they bought, hoping to hit it big with gambling. The tickets were colorful. The tickets were bright. The advertisements on our radio and television encouraging people, this is fun, this is fun. And I realized the only thing of any nourishment going out was a gallon of milk, and yet politicians are saying, this is the way to pay for our kids' education. It's evil and it's foolish. So before you go into debt or before you get into a rich-quick scheme, pray, ask for God's help, and get on a plan to reverse that. We have helped people at Woodland like that confidentially put them with people that can help them. One man, one man was able to retire close to $100,000 worth of debt. He was bright. He was smart. And the two men that I asked to walk with him through that never breathed a word. We will protect your confidentiality. Number four, remember to teach your children to obey the Lord. Remember to teach your children to obey the Lord. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Say that with me. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear. That word fear, you could also write the word obey. That's what it means to fear the Lord, to obey the Lord. Listen to what Rachel Cruz, which is the daughter of Dave Ramsey, said. 
I learned early on that work creates discipline, and when you have discipline in your life, you're a healthier person. Notice that. When you have discipline in your life, you're a healthier person. I never knew the amount on the checks my parents placed in the offering bag, but I never doubted that it was 10% of whatever dad made that week. Seeing them put the check in the bag was the weekly exclamation point on the ongoing discussion our family had about giving. The amount really wasn't important to me as a child. The real value was in seeing how mom and dad's actions lined up with their words. This morning after the first service, one of the ladies in the church said, Pastor, my daughter just bought all kinds of Dave Ramsey books for her nephews and for her nieces and for her cousins. And she said, I want to thank you for sharing that ministry. If you need help, Dave Ramsey's is another really good place to go to find help. Crown Ministries, crown.org, if you want to look up that. It's another good place to go. But let me tell you the story about a lady in our church. Single mom, her husband abandoned her. Her husband just walked off and left them. She was left with raising three children. She was left with a mortgage while he went off to have a good time in life. And she didn't want her children to learn to hate their dad. So she raised them with respect, raised them here in our church. They were often guests in her home. Loved those kids. But every week she gathered her children around and she let them watch as she write the tithe check. It was never a great big check. It was never a large check. But she gathered them around and she called me one night and she says, Pastor, you'll never believe. My oldest son said to me, Mom, we could really use that. And you're giving that to the church. And she said, look around you. We've never missed a meal. We've never missed a mortgage payment. We've never had our lights turned out. Our car has not broken down. You're all in school. You're playing sports. Who do you think makes that possible? God makes that possible. And she raised three children now that are honoring the Lord. Remember, teach your children to obey the Lord because the way you teach them is the way they're going to live their adult lives. Number five, Remember to include tithing in your life plan. Remember to include tithing in your life plan. The Bible says on the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Put aside for what? For the collection, for the offering. Nowhere in the New Testament does it preclude tithing. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say tithing was done away with. Jesus said, now listen, this is important. Jesus said you should tithe. There was an example that we know from history and from the scripture the church gave on the first day of every single week. But now, let me teach you a little something about tithing you may not remember. Because it's easy for those of us who are wealthy and affluent Americans, it's easy for us to say, oh, tithe, and the other 90% belongs to us. Remember the first point? Everything belongs to God. It's easy for us to say, oh, wow, especially if you have a substantial income. Oh, 10% below. Sure, that means I can do with what I want to do with the other 90%. For some of us, 10% is not a sacrifice. For other folks in our congregation, 10% is a real sacrifice. They feel it when they give it. Remember the story of the family that I just told you about. They felt it every time they gave. For others, they never feel it because God has blessed them with so much. It all belongs to the Lord. So the Israelites ended up as a family each year giving about 33 and one-third percent of their income to the Lord. It's the reason we call it tithes and offerings. 
because of that this year. We have touched Nicaragua in significant ways, Guatemala in significant ways, El Salvador, Curacao, various countries in South America, various countries in Asia, various countries in the islands of the Pacific. We have clothed children here in the inner city. We have fed people in the inner city. We have helped broken families get back upon their feet. We have come alongside of those that are poor and indigent. We have helped plant churches. We have bought uh, college educations for pastoral students. I could go on and on and on. Just this past year of what God has done through Woodland Church because people are generous in their giving. That's the reason the Bible says bring it to the storehouse. The New Testament principle is bring it to the storehouse, building upon that Old Testament principle that the ox would not be muzzled. Think of Woodland as the ox as we do the work of the Lord. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Remember what God, what Jesus said about the man in his story? Fool, now who will get what you've got? His name was KV. We were standing in his backyard one time, and we were talking by an old pump. KV, who was worth multiple millions, said to me, he said, you know, Pastor, I'm going to leave millions to my kids. He said, but I'm afraid I've not done enough for the kingdom. I said, well, KV, reevaluate. Then Becky and I had dinner with another couple that became very good friends with us. Very good friends. Owns oil companies, owns uh, utility companies. Matter of fact, I have never accepted any major personal thing ever offered to us. He offered a home to give us a home to live next door to him, and we declined that home. I just want you to know my heart is pure on these things when I'm talking about this, but he offered us a beautiful, fabulous home, and we declined it because we never wanted them to feel like we were their friends for what we could get out of them. But I remember when he talked to me about the same thing. You see, you teach your children by how you model, but not how much you leave behind. Fool, who's going to get what you've laid up now? So the question becomes this. Remember, enough is enough. Remember, enough is enough. He uses a story about a leech. How many of you have ever seen a leech? How many of you have ever had a leech on you before? That's a nasty feeling, getting a leech on you. Walking through a swamp one time, and I had two or three on me, just realizing they were sucking my blood. They're just nasty looking, aren't they? Just, just Google one today and look at the image of it. Look at what it does to people. It just, I want you to get that image in your mind. And I know you're just so happy you came to church so I could put that image in your mind this morning. But here's why I want you to see that. The Bible says a leech has twin daughters named give me and give me more. In other words, the leech, the daughter of the leech goes even further than the mother did. And you got to decide what you want your children to go further with than what you did. I want my children to go further with the gospel than Becky and I have ever gone in our lives. Elish has twin daughters named Give Me and Give Me More. Three things are never satisfied. No, there are four that never say, That's enough, thank you. Hell, a barren womb, a parched land, and a forest fire. It never says enough. 
And I wonder sometimes when people are constantly comparing themselves to others, thinking, well, they have this or they have that. This year, I wanted something. Can I just tell you a real person? I didn't tell this in the first service. And I, I was just, the Lord just brought it home to my mind. I wanted something really bad this year. And I asked my wife, could I buy it? And I just wanted to run it by her. I wanted it really bad. Could I buy it? I used to have one. It was stolen from me in an airport. And so I went to her and said, can I have it? She says, do you have the money? And I go, yeah, I have it saved. She goes, okay, you know, buy it. You should have it. And, and I just couldn't bring myself to buy it because I just felt I needed to give that to the Joyful Noise Christmas offering. And when I saw the picture of the first house that we were building, I was so thankful I was so thankful that instead of, I have enough. I didn't need it. I want it. Maybe one day I'll get it, and I will not tell you what it is, so don't ask me. I want it, but maybe one day I'll get it. But here's the deal. I have enough. Do you know when enough is enough? I have a friend in our church every February. He doesn't spend any money on himself whatsoever. I adopted his philosophy. It's amazing how often I have to pull myself up and say, no, you don't need that. Now, just so I'm not a liar, I still buy Starbucks coffee during the month of February. That's the will of God for my life. Number seven, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. We teach something here at Woodland that talks about your shape, your spiritual gift, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and your experiences. Last week when I was talking to you about writing a life plan, preparing your life story. It's one of the things that we'll be following up on this series, but God basically shapes us to those five things. Your good experiences and your bad experiences, God will use. God will shape you through your personality. He'll use your personality. You don't need to be me. I don't want to be you. You need to be who you are. Don't waste your life trying to copy to be like. You can learn from other people, but don't copy them. God, when you give your heart to him, when you give your heart to Jesus, he puts a supernatural gift inside of you, something you didn't have, something you weren't born with, but gives you a spiritual gift. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. But when you remember who you are, then you work from the center of your being. Remember the hub of the wheel? You work from the center and say, God, you have given me my gifts. You have given me my heart. Maybe your heart is for networking. Maybe your heart is for the poor. Maybe your heart's for the environment. Maybe your heart is for missions. I, I don't know what your heart is, but you've given me this heart and you use it. I do not feel bad that there are certain things that other people are all excited about that doesn't excite me. It's not my heart. But there are things that God has put into my heart that's just a passion and a fire. Lost people matter to God. That is a passion. It should be a passion, I think, for every Christian. So you be who you are, but remember to be aware of who is around you. You see, the Bible says if you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord and he will repay you. I mean, when you live in a nice neighborhood and your neighbors are doing well and you're doing well, Sometimes we have a tendency to look at those that aren't doing well and to think, well, if they were more like me, 
We just don't know the whole story. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and He will repay you. Now think about that. He will repay you. God sees what you're doing. Look at me right here in the eye. Everyone, just for a moment, look at me right here in the eye. God sees what you're doing. Jesus saw through the young man that says, tell my brother to give me my stuff. He knew the problem wasn't the inheritance. The problem was he's in the presence of the holy and all he can think about is his stuff. And if all we can think about is my income and what I'm going to do with it, we've missed the whole point of what it means to be a passionate follower of Christ. My Jewish friends are really teaching me some things about this. This is from the Jewish Guide to Traditions. The borrower is helped only in this world, whereas the lender who assists a poor person receives a reward in the world to come. I can see where that's very biblical. The borrower is helped. Now, understand this. When Jewish people loan to one another, they don't charge interest. If it's something done in faith, they don't charge interest. So the person just has to repay the principal. But what they're taken from the Old Testament is, is there, that borrower is only helped in this lifetime unless that borrower turns around and begins to do something good with what he's got. But the person who helped them, God sees what you and I are doing. The person that helped them, those of you who've given to joyful noise, those of you who have tithed, God sees what you're doing. God will not only reward you in eternity, but God will cause all grace to abound to you now, especially if you're aware. Now look at this next verse. If you lend money to my people, to any of the down and out among you, and don't come down hard on them and gouge them with interest. That's the reason we will never condemn anybody who's in financial trouble at Woodland. We won't say there, there, that's okay, but we'll walk with you as you get stable again. And then number nine this morning, remember good counsel will give you stability. Good counsel will give you. I stand on the shoulders of so many people who've spoken in my life. I'm not dropping names to impress you. I stand on the shoulders of Rick Warren and what he poured into my life personally as I pastored this church. I stand on the shoulders of a man by the name of Bill Hybels who poured into my life. I stand on the shoulders of a man named John Maxwell. The course that Becky and the ladies are going to be studying, Rebecca Lyons, her husband Gabe, poured into my life. I stand on the shoulders of people who've taken time to give me good counsel and brought stability in my life. I'm not naturally smart or naturally brilliant or naturally gifted at anything that I can think of, but I do know one thing. I know how to listen and I know how to learn and I know that when you apply it's the reason I always try to give you application points or a verb in every message is so you know what to do with it is when you apply it you will have stability in your life Jesus is a rock solid foundation and when you build upon him you will build a life that will last without good direction people lose their way and the more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. Look at that. The more wise counsel. So, Pastor, you're 66 years old. Don't you think you've learned? No. I'm learning every day. I'm learning every single day. I know there's so much I'd like to say on that, but my time's gone. And then finally, remember, there will be a final exam. You're going to have finals. I'm going to have finals. If you've given your heart to Jesus, you'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ where he will judge our works. 
The Bible says some of those works will be seen as wood, hay, and stubble and just burn up. But some will be seen as gold and silver and precious stones, and it will survive the fire. Not, we're not talking about your salvation, but we're talking about your eternity. If you haven't given your heart to Jesus, then the Bible says there's also a time coming when everyone will stand before the judgment seat of God. It's called the great white throne judgment. Every denomination teaches that. That is a basic, central, biblical doctrine that we will stand before God and those who have given their life to Jesus Christ, those who have had faith in him will be welcomed into the kingdom and those who haven't will hear these horrible words, depart from me for I never knew you. You see, the man that I have to be honest, I admired his business savvy. He built a great business. He built an expanding business. He had a master plan. Jesus didn't, look at, listen, Jesus didn't call him evil. Jesus didn't call him wicked. Jesus didn't call him terrible. Jesus didn't say he was unfaithful to his family. Jesus said he just lived as though there was no God. And that night when his life was required, he heard these words, fool. Which would you rather hear? All sanity says, you are like me. You'd rather hear those words, well done, thou good and thou faithful servant. It's not stuff that matters. It's Christ that matters. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me and let me pray for you this morning? Father, there's coming a day when there will be no more shadows. There's coming a day when there will be no more tears, no more family fallouts, no more greed and no more war. There's coming a wondrous day when all of those who have died in faith will rise and we which are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to be with you. But that little dash, for me, following 1955, to whatever date follows that, that little dash stands for so much. God, I pray for stability in my life and in my family's life to do good, to be rich in good works, and to use whatever resources that you have blessed us with to do good. I pray that you'll continue to use woodland like an ox that treads out the grain. God, to be able to pour into the lives of those that God, this church has poured into. Children in orphanages, sexually trafficked children, Lord, university ministries, helping students on campuses come to know you and be discipled, training pastors, feeding hungry children, clothing kids who need clothes, providing equipment, Lord. I could go on and on with how you've used. I thank you for how you've used your people. But now, Lord, 
the purpose of this message was not about stuff, but to say to the person who has listened long enough to hear me pray, don't be a fool. Don't be in the presence of Christ and walk away disappointed. But invite Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life. There will be a final exam for you and for me. And so I ask you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me your son. Thank you for loving me so much. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he rose again. And now I ask you to save me and give me stability so that I might live a truly good life for your glory and honor. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen and amen. Now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord smile upon you. May the Lord show you his favor and wherever you go and whatever you do for him diligently this week, may he cause, as his word says, it to be prosperous and productive in your hands. And may you share and show the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone you meet. God bless you. Go in peace this morning.